There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On this episode of Newt's World, the House voted Wednesday to pass a bill raising the nation's debt ceiling after days of wrangling Republican lawmakers to unify behind the package, which would bolster House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's position at the negotiating table with the White House. The final vote was 217 to 215, with four Republicans voting against the bill. It was an extraordinary achievement, and the fact that the bill passed, I think, changes the whole scene in Washington and it puts the Republicans in the House right at the center of the negotiating table. Here to discuss the future of the debt ceiling debate and its very important historic implications, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, Veronique de Rougy. She is the George Gibbs Chair in Political Economy and Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University and a nationally syndicated columnist. Veronique, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Thank you for having me. You are so knowledgeable in this area, it's going to be a lot of fun. As you know, on April 26th, the House passed the what the Republicans had called the Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023, a sign they're learning from the Democrats how to make sure they have fancy titles. It was a very close vote. The Republicans were 217 yes, four no, one not voting. The Democrats were 211 no's, two not voting. So the margin was pretty darn close. And at the time, it has been the largest proposed cut in spending ever passed as part of a debt ceiling. Now, I'm very curious, from your perspective, how do you see this whole dance of the debt ceiling? Until 2011, I never actually thought about the possibility of using the debt ceiling as a way to even have a conversation about fiscal sustainability. And I was extremely extremely aggressive in 2011. So I think it is an opportunity there better than anyone else that between these inflection points where Congress has to do something, there's not a lot of willingness to talk about our fiscal situation. And I am very glad 
that this is, this is a fight that they're once again, the Republicans are once again willing to have and that they're using this opportunity. Now, the reality is in order to make it a very meaningful change to our fiscal path to do way more than what was done. But any small step is important because it engages the public and makes them understand, I hope, first, that we have a problem. Second, that there are some people who are willing to talk about it. And I think third, that the sky is not falling if we do it. As you will remember, when I was speaker, we authored four consecutive balanced budgets for the only time in your lifetime. And at the time, it seemed like a very bold and daring idea, but we actually got it done. And what I'm intrigued with is the gap here between those like President Biden who are saying do nothing. I've been working on new language because when people talk about passing a clean debt ceiling, what they actually mean is a debt ceiling where none of the patterns, the spending, the taxing, the deficit, the interest on the debt, none of that's going to change. And I don't think that's particularly clean. So I began talking about an unreformed debt ceiling versus a debt ceiling that has reforms. And CBS just came up with a poll that showed that 23% want the debt ceiling without conditions, but literally three quarters of the country either want spending cuts, that's 55%, or 20% of the country doesn't want to raise the debt ceiling period, which of course would be unmanageable, I think, technically. It's not an option. Doesn't it strike you that the country is actually ahead of the elites in understanding that we have to turn the corner on total spending and have to start moving back towards something that's more balanced? It is. I mean, the country, it's interesting. This poll is not the first one. I mean, year after year, right, we're always happy, like conservative libertarians, we're always happy to point out that when asked, the American people actually want fiscal responsibility and is happy to try to get there by cutting spending. But in the end, for whatever reason, nothing happens. Unfortunately, when you dig deeper and you ask people, for instance, do you want to do effectively what we would need to do, which is to reform the program that we wrongfully call entitlement spending, that's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, very few people are with us. But there is no doubt that the American people is fiscally conservative. It's fiscally conservative. It's like it's understand the need that we're in a bad. By the way, they express it in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it's not as if right now they think we're in a good place as a country economically. A lot of them have been expressing that we're in the, on the wrong path. I think it's because they sense that there is something that's really out of control. But I like the way you put it, the clean, you know, it's really not clean. And the way usually I actually put it is like doing nothing guarantees you a lot of pain down the road, including there's a very messy situation of hitting social security reform and the way completely unprepared and the way in the way you don't want to be approaching these type of deadlines. From your standpoint, professionally, how much trouble do you think we're in if we don't begin to change direction? I think we're in enormous trouble. Now, I have maybe lost a lot of credibility because I've been saying this, that at some point, we're going to have a lot of trouble. But think about it this way. 
in the next 30 years, two programs, Medicare and Social Security, are facing a shortfall of $116 trillion. And this includes the interest payment we're going to have to pay on the debt to because we're going to have to borrow a lot of money just to pay for these two programs. That's also assuming that we get the inflation under control and that interest rates don't have to go up much, much more. That's also assuming that feeding the beast with more borrowed money is not going to fuel inflation in a way that becomes out of control. If you look at these two programs, which are the big driver of our debt, of course, Medicaid is also part of the problem. We are not on a sustainable path. There's another thing that we're relearning now, and I'm actually interested in your perspective on this, is when you look at CBO projections, right, which go very quickly within 30 years to over 150% of GDP of debt accumulation, 200%, there seem to be a misunderstanding that at some point, if investors and 30% of our debt is held by short-term investors, so it's maturity of less than a year, right, that those investors at some point are going to worry that all this borrowing that we're doing is not going to be paid back. And the way it's going to be paid back is with inflation, which is what countries over centuries have done over and over again. And then you have a real big problem on your hands. But none of the projection that you see at CBO actually take under consideration that kind of scenario. So I think we're in big trouble. When you talk about being in big trouble, I mean, it strikes me that the Congressional Budget Office is sort of too bureaucratic to be frightened. They lack the imagination to realize that historically you can get into a crisis where you have no resources and you have no maneuvering room. Yes. There's the understanding that, to some extent, debt accumulation over the years causes potentially interest rates to go up. But it's underestimating the possibility of how far they can go, but also the impact of debt accumulation without any promise of repayment can have on inflation. When you start having inflation that's triggered by this our fiscal situation and the worry that investors could have that the Fed will take care of the debt, basically the reversal of the roles. And the CBO doesn't at all account for this. I've had conversation with my colleague, Keith Hall, who is the director of CBO. And he said, yeah, it's just, this is not part of the conversation we have. Now, in their defense, this is also not a way that in academia, we have a tendency to separate the fiscal side and the monetary side. And I think it's a mistake. We should be actually talking, if this time is telling us anything, is that we should be talking about those two things together much more. When you have the high level of inflation and people can't afford to buy food and they can't afford to pay for their housing and they can't afford to pay for gasoline, there's a real human impact of what seem at one level just to be numbers. But suddenly the numbers become practical and really affect people, it seems to me. You're totally right. I mean, inflation is no fun. The other thing that we're finding out is that I've heard during the pandemic when some of us were raising the alarm about inflation and about the risk 
triggered by all the money printing, but also all the spending without any promise of repayment. We were always told, I mean, it's been a long time since we've had inflation, right? Inflation at that level. I was systematically told, do not worry. The Fed has the tool. If inflation starts, the Fed has the tool. And what I've learned since then, and we're all learning, is that the only tool the Fed has really is to raise interest rates, which that too is painful, right? And it's not that great even at controlling inflation if the administration is spending a ton of money and is not helping the Fed with fiscal constraint. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. That's what happened with Jimmy Carter, who ended up with a kind of stagflation where they had bad unemployment and bad inflation simultaneously, and they couldn't break out of it because they were trying to do it on the demand side by squeezing the consumer. And that causes so much pain that you can't sustain it in a free society. Yes. And that's where, you know, you have to start worrying of things that we haven't talked about in a long time, like fiscal dominance. What the hell is this? Is when interest payment on the debt in the next 
10 years is going to be $10 trillion. First, this is going to actually kind of squeeze out, this kind of put some pressure on other stuff that we want to actually, we may as a country want to use money on. But it's also because this money needs to be borrowed could actually make inflation worse, right? And so then in that condition, that means raising interest rate more, but then it causes this cycle where then the Fed could be asked by the administration, whomever in power to say, can you just slow down. This is just causing too much political pain. And then you get into this dance, which I think a lot of that was happening in the 70s, if I'm not wrong. And there's a political reality, is an economic reality. And when the two clash, unfortunately for us, like politics often wins. And this is how you get the inflation to last longer and to even take off again. I think the numbers today weren't good. Aren't we seeing an example of how hard it is to reform things in what's happening in France? France has the youngest retirement rate, I think, in Europe at 62. And Macron, President Macron, tried to raise it to 64, couldn't get it through the parliament and this National Assembly. And under a provision of the French Constitution, the president, this was one of de Gaulle's contributions, the president can actually suspend, pass a reform and it actually takes a vote of no confidence in the government to stop it. And, of course, that would mean an election in which these guys would lose their seats. So then nobody did it. But the result is you have millions of people in France who are kind of in open rebellion. Here is the backstory that I learned from the people in France who were, like, fighting to give some cover to Macron to be able to do this. First, this reform, he's wanted to do it for a long time. He's wanted to do it. He was talking about it when the economic minister under Hollande, President Hollande. And what I'm surprised we don't hear a lot talked about here is that the reason why he had no choice to use what is effectively the equivalent of an executive order, except that in this case, I think it is constitutional to use it for what he used it for, is that the rating agencies had told him, if you do not pass this reform, we're going to downgrade the note of France. And that is why he had the political courage to not back down. The other thing that people don't realize about France is that the 62 is a top numbers, but all the union men, not all of them, but they're really protected categories of union members in France who are retiring at 50 and 52. First, they were working 30 five hours a week, right? Which is not many. They were like driving trains or subways. It's not the subways and the trains where you used to put coal in the trains, right? Which justified maybe an earlier retirement age. Now it's just all automatic. You press a button. It's just really simple. And the unions are the one agitating. And French people, for whatever reason, when the unions say, let's get in the street, they go in the street. Given the difficulty, the challenge of those kind of reforms, I think you have to have a very gradual approach because anything which is too decisive ends up breaking up in a sense. I agree. And it also needs to be bipartisan. And this is where there's a real difficulty in the situation where we are right now is that all of the significant reform of entitlement have actually been done and they were gradual and they were they were all done in a more bipartisan manner. And right now, 
there's just no will to even start talking about that. Though I was surprised to actually hear Senator Bernie Sanders talk about how Social Security was insolvent. And of course, his solution is just to raise enormous amount of taxes on people who he hopes will not be benefiting from Social Security. When you're faced with that kind of an impasse, and we may have that coming up in the next few months over the debt ceiling, how big a threat in your mind is it that the U.S. might default? I just don't see it. There are plans in place to be able to pay interest on the debt, which is one of the things that you really absolutely have to do. I think they will find a decision. And let's face it, now the Republicans have passed something, the Democrats need to come to the table. The ball is on their court to actually do something, at least come and talk. This is one of those rare occasions where the difference in those two outcomes is so amazing. Because now the only bill which has passed to stop default is the House Republican bill. I think it's impossible for Schumer to pass anything unless the Republicans agree to it. He can't get to cloture. And so under Senate rules, he literally will not be able to pass anything. And Biden now has to face the reality that there is something out there which would avoid a default. He may hate it. He may be opposed to it. And it seems to me that that gives McCarthy and the House Republicans an enormous advantage in the argument that we're going to have in the next two or three months. How do you see it? I agree with you that the Republicans have passed something, and that is very significant. I think it's going to be much harder for the Democrats to say that the Republicans are aiming for a default because all that it takes to not have a default is for the Democrats to come to the table and pass something or even start a negotiation. That said, it's like I'm baffled by the way the bill itself, the debt ceiling deal bill is presented in the press. This bill, it's canceling some COVID fund, which is a good budget hygiene to do this. But it's also demanding that we go back to the spending level of 2022, not 2019. And the way the press is presenting these really minor spending cuts, and a lot of it is spending cuts to the growth of spending in the next 10 years. They're talking about it as if planes are going to be canceled because there won't be enough air traffic controllers. Suicides are going to be on the rise because suicide hotlines that are paid by government dollars are not going to be able to be staffed. They're talking about like people going hungry. And the thing is, to my knowledge, there were none of that going on in 2019. Planes were flying. People were not dying of starvation in the streets. And we were spending much less on the discretionary side, much less, at least $300 billion less than we spent on the discretionary side in 2022. So the rhetoric, it just tells me they're not serious about it. I don't know if they're willing to kind of continue talking this way, but if they are, they're extremely responsible and I don't think it looks good. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. 
My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In a policy spotlight on April 24th, I'm quoting you now. Our country needs an agenda of abundance, which I think is a great title. What do you mean by an agenda of abundance? The way I was thinking about it, and we have an entire series on abundance and what we mean about this. A lot of the way people think about addressing problems is to say, what can the government do? What can the government spend? And what we're trying to say is, you know what, the best way to actually make people's lives better is by growing the economy. But it's also by removing the barriers to work and to produce and to lowering prices for Americans. So, for instance, an agenda of abundance for housing absolutely doesn't involve the government spending more money to build homes. What it needs to do is actually remove a lot of the zoning and land use that are hindering the ability of builders to build homes and then lower the price of housing across the globe. What that would do for workers who are stuck in areas of the country where unemployment is high and wages are low is that it would allow them to actually move to a place in the nation where wages are higher but where they can't go now because housing costs are really expensive. Like modest deregulation of housing land use, my colleagues have shown, could unleash trillions of dollars of growth just by not even by allowing people to move to New York. Do you find in that sense that the regulatory state may be an even bigger impediment than the tax policy? So these two things are connected, right? So yes, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is the on-tap opportunity that we have that we don't like to talk as much because it's difficult. One of the big driver of economic growth is innovation. Innovation is fueled by capital. If you have lots of taxes on capital, you have much less capital available for innovators. And when I mean innovators, I don't just mean innovators in big companies I mean, all sorts of innovators, the people we don't even think about. 
who we can't even imagine that they're actually working on something that could be transformative. And so these things, they're connected. And so an agenda of abundance means a lot of deregulation. We need plenty of energy. Everything we want to do as a nation to grow requires a lot of energy. There's so many regulations now that are just holding back where we're not producing the level of energy that we should be producing. We're not, we've stopped being a country of abundance in energy. And that would lower the cost for literally everything we do. So that's what we mean. Is it the Mercatus Center that's developing this entire policy agenda on abundance? Yes. We will link to that on our show page. I think that's a fascinating concept. We cannot overstate the importance of economic growth. And it's not just that there's no other way to double GDP per capita in a generation. There's just no better way to do that than unleashing economic growth. But it also unleashes a lot of the values that we want for families, health, peace, religious tolerance, democracy. We know this. When you have a period of slow growth, you get much less of this, more intolerance, more tribalism, lots of unrest. There's a reason why people are in the street in France. This is a country that has not grown for a long time. And the thing that's fascinating about the studies on economic growth and its impact, even its moral, I mean, its moral imperative, really, it's that you can have a country that's rich like the U.S. or even still rich like France, and you have slower growth and you get all these bad outcomes. And so there's nothing that is more important. And of course, it would lower our debt. It would solve a lot of our problems. We would need much less government spending to pay for the safety net. This is why we're focusing on abundance. Why do you think our friends on the left find it so hard to understand the importance of economic growth? I don't know. I think they truly believe that all the problems that we have come from the capitalist system and they blame it on the market. I'm concerned because there are some people on the right who are saying that we need to move away from market fundamentalism, which is a way to say, you know, the free market, and we need to go back to industrial policy and do all sorts of things and spend money creating new entitlement program. I'm really concerned. And on the left, believing that government is the solution to everything, but it's also there are people who think we should actively try the degrowth movement, we should try to actually kill economic growth. How important is it as a way of beginning to turn the corner back towards abundance and back towards economic freedom? How important is it for the Republicans to stand firm and insist on genuinely changing the spending pattern and the debt ceiling? I think it's important That said, they're going to have to compromise. It's very possible that they're not going to be able to get everything they want. But they also have to, once the debt ceiling is passed, to actually really get serious about putting us on a fiscal path that is different. Unfortunately, this debt ceiling bill that they just passed 
is as big relatively to doing nothing and to growing spending, but it's just not putting us on a serious fiscal path. The path we're on is $52 trillion of deficit over however many years, and the Republicans are reducing it to $47 trillion. That's not nothing, but it's not getting us out of the woods. The question is, are Republicans going to be willing, honestly, to be brave about this and come to the table? I think they have to go and convince the American people And I've always heard that politics is downstream of culture. So try to educate the American people. That poll that you just mentioned, right, just try to appeal that their common sense of the American people is full of common sense, especially compared to the French, and educate the public. We can't avoid having that conversation any longer. I think that if you see this as the final step, it's way too small. If you see it as the first step, it is such a big jump from where the left has been that I think it's really causing them to sort of have reverberations trying to cope with it. We have an opportunity. Infliction points are important. And as painful as they can be, you and I know that in 2033, is it, the Social Security Trust Fund is going to dry out. We're going to have to have a conversation about Social Security, because if we don't, When President Biden says we're not going to touch Social Security, what it means is that spending on Social Security will be cut by 22-23% across the board. That's what it means. We're going to have to have a conversation. I think it would be wise to start having that conversation now, because unfortunately, if we don't start having that conversation now. What is going to happen is we're going to get very close where the Republicans are going to have their back against the wall. And the only thing that is going to be done to resolve this issue is not going to reform the program. It's not going to try to address. It's just going to raise taxes. That's what they're going to do. This is why I'm very alarmed when I hear some Republicans say that we shouldn't be talking We shouldn't be talking about reforming these programs. I know it's not popular, but you know what? Raising taxes to the level that will have to be raised to make these programs sustainable is not going to be popular and is going to kill the abundance agenda. I think you're right. I'm going to follow up with you some more on this abundance strategy because I think it's exactly right for the country and is exactly what the next Republican president should be committed to. I want to thank you for having shared this time and having talked about what I think are some really, really important issues. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you to my guest, Veronique de Rougier. You can learn more about the debt ceiling debate on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus we are the voice of nascar the green flag is in the air and we are underway the great american race the motor racing network nascar cup xfinity and craftsman truck series racing live on your hometown radio station and mrn or nascar.com martinsville talladega the chicago street course we have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win photo finishes ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.